Welcome to, uh, to Network Capital, Catherine. Really um, excited to be having a chat with you about your book and the way you think about uh, Gen Z careers and Web 3.0 and uh, all the buzzwords that we can think of these days. So tell us a bit about yourself. You're an artist, a writer, a student at Harvard. Just give us a flavor of who you are as a person and the professional that you're aspiring to be. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my story kind of starts when I was growing up, always loved writing and telling stories. I was a, a very big nerd of, you know, big fandoms like Star Wars and Harry Potter. So I started writing fan fiction for those fandoms and published them online. And, and over time, just really loved the online communities I was building and slowly published more and more original fiction and art on, on platforms like Tumblr and Wattpad, AO3. Um, so by the time I was 15, I had amassed this following of hundreds of thousands of people reading my writing. And it, it got to the point where people asked me like, hey, if I give you this amount of money, can you write me this story or make me this piece of art? And, and you know, as, as this unsuspecting young person, I, I, I thought, okay, this is the coolest thing ever that I could be leveraging the power of social media, power of these content platforms to, to turn what was my creative interest and hobby into a side business. And that's kind of the, the origin story of, of how I was a creator, even though I didn't realize it. And that was essentially my, my, what I consider to be my first business and my first entry into this whole world. Um, I'm also a pretty technical person. And so I was really fascinated by the, the evolution of technology that was enabling individuals to have this power to, to, to turn, to use the internet, to grow their own fan bases and communities, monetize their, their expertise and interests. So I've been like tracking a lot of these trends over the years. And when, when quarantine hit, and I saw so many people at home consuming and creating content at just explosive levels. I thought to myself, hey, I'd really, really love to sit down, compile insights about this, this era, this, this, this time period, what I call the creator revolution, and, and share these insights with the world because I, did, I thought, or I, I realized that a lot of people didn't, didn't recognize or understand fully the, the the comprehensive consequences and rippling effects that content creation and, and just the presence of digital content was having both on our society, on like the future of work and careers and, and to individuals as a whole. So that's kind of the journey to, to writing this book, The Creator Revolution. And outside of it, I'm, I'm currently a student at Harvard studying computer science and English, spend a lot of my time thinking about the intersection of technology and creativity, how, how we can better build technology to empower creatives, uh, have also dabbled in, in other areas of both technology and writing. And, and then I'll just, yeah, that's kind of who I am. That's awesome. Computer science and English sounds like a perfect combination. Tell us a bit about the creator revolution. Why did you title your book that? And um, why is it a revolution? Yeah, absolutely. So, 
it's I to to you and I who have been creators for a long time and and I know you have a book about the creator economy coming out as well that I'm super excited about I think that we have recognized it's it's a revolution in the sense that creators are or both digital creators and the presence of digital content have just ignited these absolutely transformative shifts in, in behavior, um, whether it's in the, like commerce and how people are shopping these days or how people are learning. I think there's more people search things up on YouTube than Google these days for, for specific topics. Um, like for me, I, I learn through so many different content channels these days rather than just going to a library to look something up. Um, and, and, and for a lot of Gen Z people I know, it's like the, the, their educators are creators. So it's, it's, there's so many shifts in behavior that, that have spun out of the rise of social media, the rise of content platforms and, and creators you can follow. The rise of being able to create content yourself has has led to the rise in so many entrepreneurs, um, like uh, amplification of representation in media. There's just so many shifts and, and we see these in, in the crazy numbers too. There's hundreds of millions of creators who are able to make money on the internet today. I think Linktree found 200 million creators worldwide. That statistic changes with, with each day. I'm sure, and, and hundreds of millions of pieces of content are published every minute as we speak. So it's, it's, a, it's enabled all these behavioral shifts, these um, new concepts of, of work, of commerce, of economy, of tools that people have been able to do and pursue the dreams they want to. It's, it's just totally new framework of, of not just thinking, but living in today's present. And I'm sure increasingly so in the future as well. So that's kind of why I consider it a, a revolution and, and, and titled the book, The Creator Revolution. Um, the book examines both the, the rise of digital content creators and the, their impact on transforming our present and, and future in several ways. So I divide up the book into three sections. The first section talks about these broader societal shifts that I was talking about. The second one talks about uh, the impacts and opportunities the creator revolution has granted to individuals. So digging a lot more into stories of how individuals have leveraged social media to grow their personal brand, to launch their businesses. And the book ends on a section of discussing the challenges and future opportunities of where the creator revolution is heading towards. I love the case studies that you talk about in the book as well, but we'll come to it. First, let's look at the societal trends and the trends, let's say, related to careers. So you're a Gen Z. I think your parents must be really thrilled at how well you've done so far. Uh, but what's different about the way you think of your career and what the impact that you want to have through your work as opposed to say your parents what are the kind of discussions you've had um, with people of a different generation that's a really good question I think the exciting thing is that the, the word or the concept of a career is so different than it was even just 10 years ago in the sense that because of the passion economy which is the system of, of how like 
individuals, especially creators, can, can monetize their, their individuality or their creative hobbies. Um, it's because of the passion economy, there's so much more opportunities for like defining your own narrative, um, having more autonomy over your work. These ideas and, and case studies of a lot of self-made successes where people kind of leverage their expertise and knowledge and become a creator and, and do what they're more passionate about. And often it starts more on a side, like as a side hustle or side business and slowly develop it into a full-time endeavor, a full-time career. I think the the often thrown around statistic is, is from a, a study three years ago that surveyed 3,000 American children and, and found that the majority of them or, or a majority of them wanted to be YouTubers or vloggers over being an athlete or astronaut as, as most children had previously selected as their, their top occupation choices decades ago. So it's for the, uh, a new generation, especially a new generation of digital natives, people who grew up using the internet, using mobile phones is a really different concept. And, and even in, I think my, my parents specifically to, to answer a part of your question, they are well aware of kind of this, this mindset shift and the integration of technology and, and the whole digital world into what we do every day. But even, even they have, have a hard time conceptualizing what exactly those possibilities are. Uh, so it's every day I hear of new crazy stories like uh, a college student I heard who started making music for on, on YouTube and was spotted by uh, a, a kid's television show. And now he signed the six figure contract where he makes music for a kid's television show. Like, like crazy stories these days where career opportunities, you, you, like you don't seek career opportunities, but you can kind of build your credibility, build your brand and either have career opportunities drawn towards you or you build your own career out of it. You know, on Network Capital, we have a nano degree or a micro degree called, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And uh, the, yeah, whole yeah. Premise, <laughs> the whole premise is that uh, this navigating through this confusion of options and possibilities can be a bit challenging. So you're, you're at Harvard, you're a student right now, um, doing pretty well. Uh, do you have a clear sense of where you want to take your wild and meandering life? What do you want to do with it? Or are you figuring it out? And how do you feel about it? Yeah, no, I, I really relate to, to the sentiment you're, you said your, your course or your, your micro course is, is offering. I, so I'm still 20 and I, I definitely am still figuring it out. Um, I know there are certain things I am really excited about, so like like the intersection of both technology and, and creatives. Um, also have spent a lot of time in the startups and entrepreneurial world and, and thinking in that headspace. So we'll see where, where that goes. We'll see where the adventure takes us, exactly. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about your first dollar online. How did you first like you make your hundred bucks or thousand bucks online and how did that make you feel? Yeah, definitely was crazy the, the first time I saw money enter my my PayPal um the, the, yeah the first money I made online was through my writing and I it was 
it was for um, one of my readers who said, hey, I really want this story to, to give to a friend as a gift. Like, could you write me this story along with this piece of art, kind of like a two-part commission um, that, that, that she ended up giving as a gift to her friend. And it, it was, you know, for me, I, I knew that fan well through our online interactions. I thought, oh yeah, sure, I can, I can do it. And um, she paid once and I didn't really think much of it, but once that opened up, it, it turned into a much more regular cycle. I better understood um, the price, pricing and like how often I wanted to take commissions versus continuing to create the content I wanted, um, how to scale that up more. Uh, it was, yeah, the first time was definitely unexpected because I wasn't looking for it. And that was kind of validation uh, that made like validation of my content work that made me realize like, hey, there's actual, actually something more here. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit about the creator market fit? Because you found it early on. I believe you must have been like in your teens, uh, 12, 13, uh, around that time. But uh, through the case studies that you've captured in the book and other things that you observe, say in Boston or New York, um, do you want to tell us what that means, finding your creator market fit? Absolutely. So just like for startups, one of the key things or key steps in their early process, key milestone, is to find product market fit, uh, which is when you feel like you've hit a, a point where you are certain that you have found customers who love your product, you've found the market your, your business belongs and can really scale in. Creators need to find that fit too, in the sense that you want to find what topics, what niche, what content resonates with a specific audience, like who that audience demographic is and how you can continue creating and offering value for them and they continue like engaging and following your content. And it's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy milestone to hit. A lot of creators and myself included spent a long time just exploring different ideas, topics, kind of, a lot of creators start out for fun, quite honestly. And so they're, they're not really thinking too seriously about like, oh, we should hone in on one niche. But over time, I think most creators realize that there are certain topics, certain ideas, certain trends that resonate with your audience more so than others. So you lean fully towards into it. Uh, Mr. Beast did a really good job of it in that he tried to like hack what, what people wanted to watch on YouTube. And he, he tried so many things um, throughout his YouTube career. He started with gaming videos and then uh, he made some videos about like predicting how much other YouTubers, how much money other YouTubers make. And then he realized, okay, people were interested in the money part. So then he tried to capitalize on the money and said, what if I give money away to people, but turn it into content in doing so? Or um, I think one of his first hit videos was, another one was like counting to 1 million nonstop. It was just, just an absurd thing, but he realized that people wanted to watch others online do these crazy things that no one else tried, like counting to 1 million or um, watching videos for many hours in a loop. So it, like he, he kind of saw the, the resonance, the what sparked a virality and, and lean fully into it. And that's, that's when he found his, his creator market fit, his fit with the audience. Yeah, the key is to 
keep experimenting till you go about it and do it, collect mm-hmm. feedback from your community, see how things are, and then, you know, double down on what works. And Absolutely. then you also talk about how creators are diversifying their income stream. Mr. B started off as a content creator, then he did a bunch of pranks, then he launched a brand, now he invests in companies. He's clearly looking at it as a, a company um, with many, many angles. Are you seeing that as a broader trend that once creators find that creator market fit, they sort of start diversifying and create other income streams? Absolutely. I think uh, diversification of, of income streams and, and platforms in general has been a, a huge trend, especially in the last year, and I expect it to continue. Um, we kind of are, are seeing it with the whole platform war recently with uh, Instagram versus TikTok and, and how the Kylie Jenner and the Kardashians are, have been talking about um, Instagram becoming a new TikTok clone and, and kind of erasing the functionalities of what made the app so special. Um, that, that, that whole drama this week has been really interesting to me to consider in, in the sense that, okay, people are, are mad because they wanted separate platforms to kind of turn their work into or, or best leverage their content and work in very different ways on each platform for, for, for reach, for audience, for, for revenue. Um, I think it, it still takes time after you reach uh, creator market fit. You have to really sustain that growth afterwards before you can kind of really like step on the gas pedal to, to run with a lot of different streams of income or, or idea or streams of content. You want to first, like after achieving creator market fit, you really, you have this validated content strategy now. So you should really focus on, on scaling your audience and community at a full throttle. Keep um, using what you've discovered to learn, make more video or videos or uh, podcasts, writing, and, and keep honing in on that craft until you've, you've grown to a size that you feel is sufficient for to build a really robust community. And then after that, I think you should kind of push yourself to to go and give a lot of different paths of commercialization a try, whether it's like selling merchandise or monetizing your community through subscriptions, um, seeing more and more creators kind of start NFTs and DAOs in, in the Web3 space, especially like smaller creators. Uh, starting like like crowdfunding efforts or branded partnerships um, or, or starting your own product lines in general. I think Michelle Fan is, is one of the, the best examples of someone who turned their content and made relevant product lines in, in relation to her content and now has started so many worldwide, world-leading beauty lines. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of my idea of where you go from creator market fit to diverse streams of income. Yeah, I, I, I don't yeah. know if you have other thoughts on this. I, I think so. Once you find that, uh, you definitely go on and explore different things. And uh, I've observed that not every experiment works out, but you don't need every experiment to work out. In fact, right. if you go with the mindset that every experiment needs to work, it's not really an experiment. You're really mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, building on on what you know. Do you yeah. want to uh, use Michelle as a case study and tell us a bit about um, how would you unpack her as a product 
as a person, as a creator? Absolutely. So Michelle Phan was one of YouTube's earliest successes. And to, to go way back, I think this is around 15 years ago in 2007, she was still in college, she was waiting tables, um, you know, probably the same age as I am around 20 years old. And yeah, in, in a very different place than where you see her today. And but in her free time, she had this blog she liked to write about her about makeup this was like one of her favorite hobbies she just started writing her blog for fun and some of her commenters asked like oh could you could you talk more about these makeup tutorials and so she thought okay the best way to kind of show makeup is to film it so she filmed started filming her makeup tutorials and publishing it publishing them on youtube and it started with from like natural makeup looks to, to anything crazy and like uh, Lady Gaga looks, uh, Snow White makeup looks, like all these different ideas. And, um, and it, she became a hit, getting millions of views in the early days of YouTube. So then she became one of YouTube's first creators to, to be able to monetize their content through, through ad revenue. Um, just seeing the surge in her viewership and and revenue, she she quit her job as a waitress, became a YouTuber full time. I think she became the first woman to, to hit one million subscribers on YouTube, which was was a huge milestone in in the first five years of YouTube, especially. Um, soon after that, she partnered with these large luxury beauty brands, became some of their official makeup artists or brand ambassadors. Um, at the peak of her YouTube career, she had 9 million subscribers, I think. Like, honestly, which, which doesn't sound big today, but was huge in the early days of YouTube. And she's one of the pioneers of, of setting the standard of what beauty, a beauty creator looked like on YouTube or TikTok today. And, and from there, she decided to, to launch her own beauty company. So she started this beauty product subscription service called Ipsy, which I still know a lot of people use today, was valued at uh, $800 million a few years ago, which is a crazy, crazy growth. Um, I know she launched some of her own makeup lines in partnership with like L'Oreal and other lines. Uh, and I think she's she's working on a few more startups today. It's, it's so in enormously insane rise from being a waitress to blogging about makeup to starting to film and publish on YouTube to being a serial entrepreneur and proving her success over time was built on her expertise and knowledge of, of what she saw first as a hobby. That's fascinating. She really is an inspir inspiration in so many ways. Um, mm -hmm. She set the you know, ball rolling there. Uh, Catherine, talk to me a bit about Web3 and community building. What does um, that mean to you? Why do you care about Web3? And uh, do you see yourself as a community builder today? Lots of good questions. I think, I think the whole topic of Web3, you could easily spend hours talking about it at a time. <laughs> I think for creators especially, um, Web3 is so new and there's still so many things that are unproven or undeveloped and, and for me I kind of view it more as a, as a lens of oh let's take a look and see what happens but I think for so there with platforms right now 
big creator platforms like YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, uh, you know, these, these or Spotify, these typically huge platforms, there's a, a very large skew in favor of a select few. So usually there's like an 80-20 rule, but with these large content platforms, we're seeing more of a 90-10 rule or, or even a 99-1 rule. There, there's, uh, I think a study found that 99% of podcast downloads belong to 1% of podcasts, which is, which is a crazy, crazy statistic, a, a very, very astonishing gap. So there, there's this huge skew. And the idea is that Web3, with its decentralized nature, could hopefully allow especially smaller and aspiring creators, which some people title the, the creator middle class, to be able to succeed more in that they're able to own their communities, their own their content and revenue. And I, I kind of, I don't see a, a full, fully like only Web3 future. I think it, I see a future where it's Web2 and Web3 working complementary harmony where people likely still will publish their content on Web2 platforms on social media, but use Web3 mechanisms to to monetize, whether through like microtransactions or communities they own themselves, like DAOs. Um, so th I think there's a lot of potential and we'll, I'm excited to see how it goes. I definitely have talked to a few creators who have started their own Web3 projects, their DAO communities, or tapping into the metaverse to see how they can, can utilize different tools to, to increase their presence and, and run their communities at, at a greater strength. So you mentioned creator middle class. You have to tell us more about it. I also in my book talk about the importance of uh, an emerging middle in the passion economy. But Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of coverage of creators and the media or um, the resources from these platforms so much is focused on, I would say, the top 1% of the creator landscape. And, and as a result, they also reap the most rewards. But it, it, like, as, like only 1% can be the top 1%. There's still so many smaller uh, creators with just as much passion, but either maybe they have less time, less resources, or just haven't figured out how to sort of the 1%. And especially given these platforms are dominated by recommendation algorithms, it's not easy to, there's no one set playbook in getting there. You're oftentimes subject to the will of these algorithms. Um, so as a result, there's this like hidden creator middle class of creators who are working really hard, but with smaller audiences and you don't know how they can best succeed. And, so kind of in, in my book, I address a few ways platforms can devote more resources or different ways they can better support this broader base of creators and, and also ways for these middle class of creators to also capitalize on more community resources and, and seek out education and collaboration with each other to grow by themselves. I, I would love to hear a bit more about what what you uh, are thinking about the creator middle class as well. I, I, I look at creator middle class as the most important uh, trend that we need as a society to encourage. Because Absolutely. look, the Kardashians making billions or 1% mm -hmm. to half a percent making billions. That's a great Sunday read. 
it's mm-hmm. something that we can learn from but i think if fashion economy needs to become democratized if people who are listening to this podcast if they were to think about uh, uh starting their own company or building their own right. side hustle they need relatable examples and they don't need to be intimidated by having millions of fans or billions of fans thousand fans hundred true fans or 10 you know hyper patrons who are really going to be there at every step mm-hmm. of the road in my mind that is actually a really potent way to build a community once you have a number yeah. of people who really back you who got your back in good times and bad i think they are far better than a million people who sort of like you who will like your instagram post or your tiktok video but may or may not convert because the big challenge is that a million views on you know on tiktok doesn't mean a million dollars at all nowhere close no. it means sometimes a pittance right so how do you sort of diversify build out your community and i think web3 offers a more uh, equitable promise at least to build that out yes a- equitable promise is is a really good way of putting it yeah is is these these lower to middle class creators if if they haven't figured out a solution or ways to support their audience growth and their content distribution as well as most importantly their monetization um you'll keep losing these middle class of creators over time and you kind of run out well think running out of creators is is a far extreme but you run out of of creators who want to want to keep doing this or or see a future in doing this so definitely agree with with what you're saying and and i i i'm excited to see what creator economy startups and tools as well like web3 tools um these big platforms themselves how they continue to support the middle class of creators yeah it'll be an exciting trend to watch katrin uh, do you want to talk to us about what you've built or discovered when it comes to communities i'm sure you're part of many collectives um tell us about what you're seeing ah communities is such a a challenging concept to to run like running a great community is is so hard and i'm sure you've experienced this you've done a great job running this network capital community and see so many people on here listening and and great comments too um I wouldn't say I am the best at at running a community, a, a really engaged, sustained community over time. I think some of the, the the best communities I've seen have a really well-informed structure while giving the fans or the community members uh at the same time like they have structure but also a really great space to be themselves, to engage with each other and meet one another. Um I I do mean this in the context of virtual communities I would say I think just having in person communities and events are are so different than just purely running a a discord or a slack community uh and but I I think it's I've seen so much success with these kind of virtual communities extending into in person interaction as so I wonder if that can extend to more virtual interactions too with so many rising metaverse tools um i interviewed an amazing person who works at roblox in my book and and she talks about how so many creators and stars are are trying to leverage the power of of tools like roblox to host more fan events uh, interactions in the metaverse and which is 
to me, a really interesting concept because you can scale your reach and interactions too. Like so many fans, I'm sure, want to go to events like VidCon or Comic-Con to meet their favorite creators and stars, but they're not, they're always set in one place. You know, it's at one time a year, it's not super scalable. I'm excited to see the future of, of community tooling and interactions at a digital scale. Oh, fantastic. Do you think Harvard is a subscription-based community? <laughs> you know, that's such a good question. No one's ever asked me that or, or framed university like this to me before. Um, I definitely think universities are their own communities and, and just to their extent, like exclusive communities. Um, but I don't know how, how differentiated the, the communities are because I guess universities tend to, to be structured similarly, be promised, they're promising the same value add. Um, I think that at, at a school like Harvard, kind of as a student or community member, you have to put in the work you want to get out of the community. So you have to recognize what you want to get out of the community rather than like, um, rather than the community being like, hey, this is what we can offer you as a member, you have to kind of discover it yourself. Um, yeah, that's kind of, this is such an interesting mm -hmm. concept. I've, I've never thought of it like that before. Yeah, in my book, actually, I try and look at what does unbundled education look like? What does, mm -hmm. say, a nice place like Harvard or Oxford or something of that sort offer? So I look at, okay, you get a subscription and it provides insurance, prestige, learning, right. a community, um, and all of them packaged together is a university, a top-notch university. Right. A lot of disruption that we're seeing in the market are individual products that are mm -hmm. trying to create services. Okay, this is a networking alternative. This is a learning alternative. This is an insurance alternative. Um, but combining them or packaging it differently creates new optionality. That's why, you know, you're seeing the emergence yeah. of learning DAOs and education DAOs and so forth. Right. So that's what I um, Yeah. Well, university is a very book. expensive subscription. If it very is that expensive. <laughs> um, Catherine, what about challenges? Writing a book isn't easy and you did it along with school. Um, you talk to us about the process. Uh, talk to us about what are the challenges that people should be prepared for when they're building out a community or say venturing in the passion economy space. Absolutely. I think so for sure we've we tend to glamorize the idea of a creator or, or a lot of these successful case studies. They, they sound incredible. But, but being a creator is so much more challenging than it seems because you're essentially a one person end-to-end -end operation. You're planning the logistics, you're actually creating the content, you're marketing the content, you're, you're um, I don't know, managing all your operations and sales and brand partnerships. It's like, it's like really like running a business, but from day one, but all on, like the business is you. So it's, it's a very challenging operation from the get-go as a creator and so you have to figure out all these different details and how to track them especially as a new creator you don't really know how how to this is and there's no existing guidebook of like you know how to be a creator from day one online so i'm, I'm really glad today there's so many more resources out there for sure i wish i had something like my book or, or your book when i was a creator because a lot of my early days were figuring things out and, and going through this process of trial and error to see what worked, what didn't. 
there's also a big challenge of, of burnout, which is something I faced mm -hmm. both as a creator and as an author writing this book, which is when you're doing the same thing over and over again, and especially on content platforms, these algorithms love when you're posting far more frequently to, 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 and they, because they want to encourage you to keep coming back and creating more content. It creates this cycle that this like a cycle that doesn't ever seem to end. And, and so a lot of creators, I think every creator I know has felt burnout at some point where they just feel so tired and exhausted, but they seem to have to keep going. Or in the case of my book, I felt like my book journey was so long that when, when the book finally came out, instead of going on the book promotion tour, I, I wanted to, I, I felt really tired by the whole process. I kind of just wanted to lie down. Um, <laughs> So in, in both cases, I decided to take a more like a long, ex, more extended break and then get back into it with a new refresh mindset um, as a creator. Yeah, taking breaks, having like support groups. Um, a lot of creators I know also have therapists and have sought like professional help, like having these mechanisms of support and knowing that you can take breaks and step back are, are so important in the whole process. You know, even in that uh, account, I found having a community to be really helpful, a community yes. you can really share what's what's on your mind, right. because you're right, like platforms love if you post every minute or every day or whatever <sighs> frequency, and they punish you if you don't. Right. But if you have your community, you can actually hopefully tell them that, look, this writing this book or creating this piece of art really took everything out of me, I no longer feel the joy. So I need a couple of days or a couple of weeks to, to find the joy again and get back into the groove. And I think it's really important because you can't really make it as a community builder, as a creator, uh, if your timeline is 15 days, mm -hmm. 15 months. It really takes a while to get, get the wheel churning because it's not a software, it's not exactly a platform that will spread automatically and uh, it'll grow viral, it could. But again, one viral tweet or one viral video, again, does not mean actually anything. If you were to look at monetization or building out like a portfolio of careers and so forth. And I think your book does a really good job of walking us through a wide range of case studies, examples, mental models. Um, hopefully people will enjoy reading both our books and uh, dive into the creator economy with eyes wide open. That's my hope. Yes, and I was wondering- absolutely. What was yours? Like, what, what would you consider to be successful um, through the book or through the other pieces of work that you're creating? How do you measure your success? Yeah, so I, I see success uh, from my book and, and from my work in kind of creating more resources and education, informing awareness about the creator revolution and everything surrounding it is by starting conversations uh, to with people or sorry by fostering conversations and discussions around these topics among people who previously weren't aware weren't knowledgeable and um, in in the just two months of launching the book I've gotten incredible feedback from people I know and don't know who, who read my book and, and told me like hey this is what I learned this is what I want to know and this is what I'm curious to know has also it has also inspired a lot of my readers to to start being a creator themselves which has been super exciting to me that they're willing to give it a try and see different pathways that they they want to benefit from or want to learn from and, and leverage 
for their their personal brand or for their business, etc. Super exciting to me. So that's that's kind of how I'm measuring success. Not not through like the number of book sales or or the number one bestseller labels, even though those are nice, um, but through the the discussions and conversations, the broader community is able to generate and take away from the book. Right. Um, this has been a lot of fun, Catherine. Anything I should have asked you that I didn't, or any parting thought that you have before we open it up for questions? Uh, no, this, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, if, if, if it's okay, I can, I, I would love to like mention where you can find my book. On I'd it. love you, please go ahead. We'll yeah. put it in the uh, page anyway. Sure. But yeah. 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 So, do that. Perfect. Uh, you can find my book on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Bookshop, anywhere you buy a book online. And, and all these links can be found at, on my website, katherinehyo.com slash creator. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram at Catherine H.O. And, and on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, thank you everyone so much. This has been such a fun, illuminating conversation. We'll be cheering for you um, all along your creator journey. Thank you very much for being here. Really appreciate your time.